There's lots of tax strategies, and some of them are valid, and some of them are just harebrained tax schemes that can be presented to high earners. And in reviewing those and seeing those and taking a deep dive and analyzing them in order to objectively uh, opine on them, we learned that the financial industry is driven by incentives. And too often, the incentives of people that promote one strategy or another is misaligned with the best interests of the advising or selling to. And that's something that we saw time and time again consistently. Um, Every strategy has its pros and cons, but they were really never shared. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7 Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all round geek. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobsher, the cash flow ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. But whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions podcast. And now your host, DeRay Olalaye. Well, howdy, good people. On today's episode, I have on a CPA, a CPCU, also with the following designations, a ARM, an ACI, and an entrepreneur. Today's guest is Mr. Bernard Rees, and Bernard and I sit down to talk about your 401k. So many, many of you have had challenges and problems and questions surrounding this here topic, just trying to figure out how to get started or if you're doing the right thing or what are your options. And it's about time that we have a 401k episode. So this is your 401k episode. This is the investor's guide to the 401k. This is the 401k for dummies. This is 401k made easy. (laughs) So guys, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into today's, oh, by the way, bonus episode. Okay. I promise just one more thing. So I don't really have this bias towards my big four accounting firm. And if you don't know what that is, we'll explain it in the episode. And that's primarily because I no longer am employed by anyone, any firm, right? So I don't have a distaste for the firm I used to work with, nor do I have a special liking to that firm above any other firm. But I know that a lot of the listeners that do work for big four firms, um, it's like a big thing amongst us to where like, which one is the best firm and you know all that good stuff. It's the same thing with like Greek fraternities. So like I'm a member of Cap Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated and I, that's like the best fraternity like in the world, right? But like in different pockets, some fraternities are really prevalent, whereas some other fraternities may not be as prevalent. Again, that doesn't apply to my fraternity because we're like the best everywhere. So here's another example. It's like trying to distinguish between what is the best university out of Harvard, Princeton, and Yale. 
it's like, well, first and foremost, what does best mean? Best in what? Best where? Best how? Right? And they would all be number one in so many different categories. But how do you determine what is number one overall? It's really going to be based on who you talk to and where they are and what their beliefs are. So I bring all this up to say that on today's episode, again, I have no bias, but I know that a lot of people in my community would be looking for me to defend a few other big four accounting firms. But all in all, a big four accounting firm is like the Harvards and the Yales and the Princetons of accounting firms. Like It's like where everybody wants to be. There's nothing past that. That is the end goal for many people. So we're really just splitting hairs at this point. But our guest on today's show did say that his big four accounting firm was actually number one. And again, I didn't have a counter argument because I'm not biased either way, but I wanted to stand up for all my people out there who are at Deloitte and who are at Ernst & Young because I've always been surrounded by the popular opinion that Deloitte and EY are number one and PwC is third and KPMG is fourth. I just got to put that out there, guys. And what's crazy is if you go to like the West Coast, like KPMG is super prominent and everybody out there will tell you KPMG is number one. And that's just the environment, right? And it's like that with sports, with some of our favorite teams. It's like that with really everything. Now, if we're just looking at total revenue like year over year, then yes, I believe that KPMG is squarely last every single year, even though it's still big four, right? But is that the only indicator? Is that the true measure? Is And if not, then what else should we factor? Should we factor work-life balance? Should we factor philanthropy? Should we, should we factor all the awards and recognitions that people are receiving? I mean, what? So I just thought that was interesting. All in all, many people will agree with our guests on today's show that PwC is number one And about 75% of people, if that makes any sense, because there are four big four accounting firms, will probably disagree. But uh, who really knows, right? Let's get to the show. No, no, wait, I lied. One last thing. Seriously, seriously. Because of the growing international audience, I want you guys to know that there's still a lot of value in this episode for you to take away from. Uh, Just because you guys don't have uh, our standardized 401k plan. So the Canadians, you might have what is called the CPP. In Australia, you may have the superannuation plan. The general principles that we discuss on this episode still apply, but I do want to let you guys know that I am not a CPA. This is not me giving you tax, legal, or accounting advice. You guys should consult with your CPA and with your attorneys. This is all for entertainment purposes, really, guys. We're having a ton of fun and an effort. You get a ton of value and you have a bunch of questions to take back to your certified financial planner, to your CPA, to your CFA, to your accountant, to your bookkeeper. And you work from there or you find somebody new who can work in the capacity that you need them to. So again, I want to let the international listeners know that these principles are the same principles you can use far and wide. Now, seriously, guys, let's get to the tip of the week. DeRay's tip of the week. Okay, so because today's episode is primarily predicated on investing funds that you've saved, that you've tucked away for a rainy day or for retirement or for generational wealth or for investing because that's what today's episode is about. I want to talk about something that I don't really get the chance to talk about a whole lot on this podcast because I'm always talking to new investors and helping them get started in real estate, or I'm always talking to experienced business owners in the real estate world and helping them grow their business. But not often am I talking to those 
hardworking, career-driven, successful people, whether they're business owners or entrepreneurs or employees, and they simply don't have the time nor the expertise to invest in real estate. Now, these people are doing amazing at what they do in their job. They're climbing the ranks or in their business. They're hitting their revenue goals. But making money and investing money are two totally different things, two totally different art forms. And most of us study the world of investing for years. And some of us pass that obligation on to fund managers and 401k companies and these service providers. But some people would rather share that obligation with an investor and maybe soft assets or real estate. Many people get to a point to where they're like, there are smarter ways to invest my money and I want to go start looking for those ways, but I don't want the obligation to learn a whole new art form. I'd rather just find a sponsor or an investor or a syndicator to partner with or to invest in so that I can participate in these amazing returns that I see and that I hear that people are getting in real estate and I just quite simply don't have the time or expertise. For those people, again, I want to invite you to head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash invest. As an active real estate entrepreneur, I am always, always looking for new investors. So whether you are an accredited investor or a non-accredited investor, if you want to invest in real estate and you don't want to deal with any of the hassle, you don't want to have the obligation of finding properties, of dealing with property managers, of dealing with the, the termites and the ants and the and the rats and the 2 a.m. toilet calls. You don't want to deal with any of that stuff, but you want the returns that you see people getting in real estate. Head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash invest. Once you do that, you'll be taken to my company's website, my investment company's website. Head over to the contact tab and under the contact tab, you're going to see ways that we can work together. So again, whether you're a passive investor looking to work with me and invest alongside with me or you're a cash buyer and you're looking for off market deals, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash invest. Now, again, this is perfectly placed for such an episode because many of you guys are suffering from a 401k that you have no idea what's going on in, what you can actually be doing with those funds and how to even get out. So now let's get into this episode so that you can take advantage of real estate opportunities as they come across your desk. It's one thing to hear about the opportunities that I have and to see these opportunities. It's another thing to be ready to pull the trigger once they arrive, when they arrive. So again, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash invest and let's get to the show. And now your feature presentation. Bernard, what were you doing at the time? Walk me through your journey. Walk me through your story. Tell me you're a CPA now, but were you in college at the time? Were you a CPA then? Were you working for a firm? Were you, were you already entrepreneurial and you saw these things as you were working with your clients? Like, What were you specifically doing and what was your story to get you to this point? Yeah, so I'll give you some chronology. It actually goes back to the college days and I was working in school. So I was kind of juggling school and working at a professional services firm at the same time. So we were working on some of the largest uh, companies in the world, frankly. So some of the companies that I got exposure to are household names, uh, Fortune 100 and 500 companies. And 
we would provide primarily doing due diligence work on behalf of them or behalf of their vendors, actually analyzing and ensuring that their agreements were upheld. And as and a component of that was also advising what we call middle market business owners. So those are not your Fortune 1000. Those aren't the biggest companies in the country, but those are also companies of relatively large size, and most of them are closely held. And as part of, you know, this is really, really intensive work. And we do a lot of audit, a lot of due diligence, and but some of it would spill over into some personal financial advisory. So I was really burning the candles at both ends, working towards beginning my accounting degree, working towards becoming a CPA uh, while working full-time. And I'd say a lesson that I learned at that phase was I was really pushing myself to the limits. At the same time, I was seeing how the upside, the rewards of pushing yourself to the limits, too much of that was accruing for other people and not to myself. So when you're, you're kind of, you're a student and you're carrying a lot more than your workload. So I was doing things for the company uh, at every level above and beyond what could possibly be expected but wasn't getting the kind of compensation that should have been in line with that. And that was a big impetus to, you know, begin an entrepreneurial journey. I think about the fact, and this, I've said this on a few episodes now, but I think about the fact that we spend all day working for the government. Like we spend January to June working for the government in the form of taxes, you know, whether that's a tax coming out of your check or a tax that you pay at the store. There's so much being taken out of the funds that we receive for compensation in the, in, the, in the form of taxes that you're spending from January to June, literally working just to pay Uncle Sam. And then most of us who graduate from college, we have student loan debt. Um, most of us want to start a family. So we go buy a house or we go get a mortgage. Most of us have car notes, credit card bills. It, I mean, the list goes on and it's crazy. But you think about the fact that, well, the bank owns the credit cards, the bank owns your mortgage, the bank owns this, the bank owns that. So you work from July to December just to pay the bank. And you think about the man hours that you put in, you work 40 hours a week or 50 hours a week or 60 hours a week for us who were in, are in the accounting uh, niche. And well, you're building up this company, you're helping their client and you're helping them as a company flourish. And then at the end of the year, it's just like, well, what does Bernard have for himself? You spent all year doing all these things for everybody else and how much have you saved up for yourself and what are you doing for your future and how have you improved your life in the past year? And that was a cycle that I was in. That's a cycle that a lot of the listeners have been in and some of them are in right now. And they're just like, I don't understand what to do. But for you, Bernard, you were just like, there's this other path. Yes, I love what you're pointing out. And I'll share another nugget about my background that I think you'll really appreciate. So as a CPA, if you think you'd ask somebody, where's the, where would a CPA or an aspiring CPA, where would they want to be? Where would they land their dream job? What would be the dream opportunity? Do you have an answer to that? If you know the accounting space, the answer may be obvious. I was in college and I did not want to be an accountant, but I wanted, I'm a super analytical person and I wanted a secure, safe, stable job that would make me a whole lot of money. And they told me, hey, become an accountant. That's secure. That's stable. And I was just like, whoa, I can do that. I went on to go work for one of the biggest firms in the world. And the minute I got there, I said, oh, no. 
<laughs> this is not <laughs> this is not what they told me. They just told me that if I worked for 13 years, I would become what's called a partner and I would make $500,000 a year. And that was appealing for me at the time because I hadn't yet expanded my horizon to what's possible. So when it comes to what accountants look for, like their dream job or the cream of the crop, I, I would say big four. Okay. DeRay is still in my thunder. Which of the big four firms did you work at? Yeah, I worked at Ernst & Young. Okay. So you were at EY. But here's, I actually, I kind of one-upped you on this. I went to, so I had a job offer from PwC. That's yeah. PricewaterhouseCoopers. So that's the number one firm in the country in the accounting. So you've got the big four in PwC year in, year out. They're consecutively, at least in the last couple of years, ranking is number one. Yep. And I had this job offer. And so generally, you know, you, you kind of get this, you hear the route, you know, what I've heard from you, you know, you got there and then you're like, this is not what, what I thought I was signing up for. So I actually never went. I had the job offer and I walked away from it. I said, you know what, I'm not even, I'm not even going to start that route. I'm going to do something entrepreneurial. And, and here I am. You know, I've taken this step. I've got lots of friends and, and lots of colleagues, people that I work with closely that are at large accounting firms, big four, top 10 regional firms. But I got to say, they all envy the lifestyle that I have for myself today, the freedom, the flexibility, the family. So these are choices that I guess I've made, you've made, and many others you know, can make if they take that leap. Yeah. So, so before, before we get to the set next segment, Bernard, I'm curious, what, what made you think that was possible for you, given the environment that you're in, given the circumstances that you're facing at the time, which we don't, li- we don't know, but I'm sure you may, you may shed some light on that, given that everyone around you is telling you, same as me, that this is what you're supposed to do. This is what's normal. This is what is safe. This is what is secure. This is the best way to go about this. Given that you're getting all of this thrown at you at this time and you're such a young person, how did you filter through that to decide ultimately that there was a different path for you? And in my case, the answer ironically may not be so much financial, uh, but more about personal satisfaction. Uh, From my experience, you know, in the workforce prior to being presented with this PwC opportunity, I had learned that I'm able to innovate, able to provide a fresh perspective, able to take a look at, be it a Fortune 500 company's books and records and analyze them and uncover inconsistencies, whether it's looking at tax code and labor law and applying it in ways that are novel and strategic. And I realized that's what gave me satisfaction, being able to be apply that, that skill set and apply that intelligence to help myself and help others. And when you take that role, when you're just a cog and a really large wheel, they actually don't want you to innovate. It's not welcome. They want you kind of, you know, here's the task, do this, do that. Uh, if you start asking questions, it actually interferes with their efficiencies. Uh, they've got this system, this kind of assembly line in place, you're just a machine on that assembly line. And I felt I would not be personally satisfied in that kind of role. Yes, perhaps initial, but in the short term, I just didn't see how I would be personally satisfied. So now we have a clearer understanding on maybe why you've chosen the path that you've chosen in your entrepreneurial journey. So maybe tell me exactly how you started your business. So when you first start a business and you're getting off the ground, you need direction. 
You know, you don't have clients knocking down your door on day one. You know, what am I doing? How do I get out there? How do I market? How do I get systems in place? And once, once you get that in place, and I'd actually think this is something that people will find, you know, encouraging and helpful to know that once things kind of start moving and you've got momentum, then there are obstacles that are, you may encounter obstacles, but you encounter them one by one and you're able to overcome them. The biggest challenge is picking up that momentum to get off the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Bernard, give me, give me a specific story. Tell me about, maybe tell me about the very first client you acquired. How did you acquire that client? So it's like many other businesses. First clients, some of them came, you know, through a personal network. Although I have to say for the most part, I do not, I try to keep separate personal network um, from business, but so, you know, the first initial clients, you know, they were just astounded at some of the things that I was presenting. They wanted to do it. You know, they heard that, hey, you're going to be, give me the ability. You know, I've been investing in real estate for years with my taxable funds. I've got an IRA and I've got a financial advisor that's controlling it for years and years now. And I've always wanted to put it all into real estate. That's what I've always wanted to do. And you're telling me that I can do that? You know, we're in. Uh, and that was, that, that was helpful to have people around me that were enthusiastic about doing this uh, and that really wanted to do it and, and get it off, you know, and to put their money um, and to act immediately. Um, that was really helpful. Bernard, we want to tackle this 401k issue that many individuals are facing. And I'm really curious as to the current state of the general consensus out there. Like, what is the everyday individual doing with their 401k and kind of talk about some pros and cons with what they're doing. And then we'll kind of get into a, a little bit after that. Yeah, l- let's do it. It's a big subject and let's tackle what we can. In general, it's not so much, just to be clear, that I'm opposed to what people are doing. It's more that people would do things differently if they knew about all the options that were truly open to them. So some people are actually doing things that perhaps they should not do. Uh, But for others, it's about diversifying and broadening their horizons uh, based on available options. So the 401k and IRA retirement account space, there are many ways people get into it and many ways they invest. Historically, there have been terrible, just really terrible options, particularly inside of 401ks. So 401k plans that you're generally familiar with would be encountered at large companies that are offering this employee benefit. But in fact, it was just a huge slush fund uh, for financial advisors. Companies would, these would be, you know, front loaded with so many fees that, you know, it's likely a large percentage of the assets that people thought they were getting the benefit of investing tax-free. Well, rather than giving the money to the IRS, they were just get kind of paying a tax to the financial advisory firms. So they were really, really poor options. Over the last few years, uh, there were lots of lawsuits, a lot of litigation uh, with regard to the kind of abuses that were rampant inside of 401k plans. So there's, be, there's been great improvement inside of that space uh, to try to bring the expenses down, bring more transparency. But the fundamental issue remains which is that there's incentives, the misalignment of interests. People have to recognize that they have to take charge and take control of their finances rather than kind of surrender control of their finances to people who do not have their best interests at heart. 
There's a huge that. conflict of interest um, and people got to take a step back to educate themselves and take control. And that's so what we're all about. The average, would you say that most Americans have what is considered a 401k plan? Yes. 401k plan is definitely the most popular retirement plan that's company sponsored, but then there are also IRAs. Uh, so they're about, you ready for this? This is a, an astounding number. I hope you're seated. Yep. The retirement account system holds over $27 trillion in assets. $27 trillion, my goodness. I don't think we can even, that, to try to give you some context. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, because that's just an incredibly astounding number. That is well above the U.S. national debt. Yeah. That's an incredibly astounding number. Now, frankly, the tools that we provide, uh, we're not able you know, to efficiently provide them to large companies. Uh, so we focus on IRA-based accounts, and those would be SEP IRAs, simple IRAs, traditional IRAs, Roth IRAs, and in the- So really quick, really quick, Bernard, describe the difference between an IRA and a 401k. So a 401k belongs to a group of plans called qualified retirement plans. And those plans are generally sponsored by a business. You need a business to create a 401k. So for our primary focus in the 401k space is on people that have single owner, you know, owner only businesses. So that's a business where there are owners, no full-time employees that are not owners. And in those types of companies, we can give them total control and incredible flexibility and incredible value. It's when you introduce a full-time employees that are not owners of the business that it gets complex. So when we create 401k plans, that can invest in real estate, tax liens, crypto, hard money loans, private loans. It's for businesses that have owners without, that, without full-time employees. But you'd be amazed how many Americans qualify for that. You may not think of that, but with the gig economy, we have tens of millions of Americans that went from being strictly employees to being business owners. Anybody that's doing stuff on Upwork, Fiverr, anybody that's doing ride sharing with Lyft and Uber, that is a business. You know, we think of business, maybe we're starting thinking of, you know, some of the larger companies, enterprises that we're aware of. If you're doing something and you're getting paid for it, you've got a business. You don't need an LLC. You don't need a corporation. If you're doing something for profit, that is a business and you can create your own 401k plan and eliminate up to $55,000 of income, you know, t tax deductions of actually it's going up, but tax deductions of between, and if you've got a spouse involved, you can double that. So you can eliminate upwards of $110,000 per year of income for any business that you've got. So on the 401k side, we're looking at a business plan, a plan for a business qualified retirement plan. And IRA, IRA stands for Individual Retirement Arrangement or Individual Retirement Account. So IRAs are individual based. So anybody can have an IRA, even if you haven't got a business. And many Americans have IRAs. IRAs hold, I think, about $9 trillion or so. So probably majority of Americans, I don't know the exact number, the exact statistics in front of me, have IRAs. And you'd be amazed. You can even create IRAs for your kids. Um, and that's a great strategy. You can have IRAs for children. Somebody's got a, self somebody's got a business for themselves. They can pay their kids and then create IRAs for their kids. 
and this way keep growing, set that up. That's, and you think about the kind of growth you can have on these IRAs because there's no tax each year. And by the time a kid reaches, you know, as they, they have so much more time for tax-free compounding, tax-free growth, that's incredible, an incredible gift that a parent can give to a child. So to recap, 401k is more company-based, IRA is individual-based. So I am a college student who is about to graduate and I'm about to go work for my first full-time employer. I am presented with the option of a company-sponsored 401k. My plan is to eventually become a real estate investor and start investing in real estate assets. What type of device, and I know there's a lot more variables that you probably need, but from a a general 30,000 foot view, what type of advice can you give this individual as far as how to start out, what to, what should they have a 401k? Should they have a self-directed 401k? Should they start their IRA? How do they get their footing? How do they start? Okay. Awesome question. I'll try to answer it and throw in some variables um, that will impact this. So in general, somebody that's working at a job that has a 401k option. So that 401k option will offer them a menu of investments that are available to them. Then they'll also have the option of having an IRA that they could create on their own. Uh, to have a 401k for themselves, they would have to do some sort of income, side income from a side gig. Um, so those are the three options that they could have potentially. The first thing we'll do is look at the company option and say, okay, what does this menu of funds look like? And what kind of fees are baked into this plan that I can or can't see? And then on top of that, what is the company offering a match? So if the company offers a match of some sort, that's very enticing. And even, even somebody like myself would say that's really something that should be strongly considered because a match, just to, to explain anybody that's, got a, that's not familiar, up to a certain point, if for every dollar that you put into a company 401k plan, they'll match your contribution up to 3% of compensation. Um, there are lots of different formulas that they may use, but that's an immediate return, an immediate ROI. You put in a dollar, you get a dollar can't beat that. Uh, so that's, that's something that has to be considered to see what's going on inside of the company 401k plan. Uh, the other thing that they got to think about is though, their overall financial picture. Do they need this assets? You know, anytime they put money into a 401k, it's a tax strategy, tax, tax deduction. But if they're putting money into a company 401k plan, um, they're losing liquidity. And getting into real estate, ultimately, the biggest obstacle, the biggest hurdle is the capital. You need capital to get in. You know, you can get capital from other sources. And if you want to grow your game, you're going to have to leverage OPI uh, to one extent or another. But to even to get your feet wet, to get into the game, capital is crucial. Uh, and, and the money that you put into a company 401k plan is not going to be available for real estate investments. And one of the things we find people do is they'll come to us, they'll want to set up a plan, um, an IRA, 401k, and use that money for real estate. And some, of the, some folks have very large, substantial retirement accounts, and they're making substantial contributions, and they're able to go out and buy properties. And others look at it, hey, I, got, I don't have the chunk of change in the retirement account that's needed to buy properties. And it's important to know our 401k and IRA can get a loan. It can get financing. It use leverage just like you can. But they say, hey, I'm going to use this. I'll be a private lender. I've got somebody that I know is doing flips. I'm going to be the private lender to provide the equity portion for his, you know, for somebody's down payment on a property or to provide funding for somebody's fixing, you know, 
their re rehab job. And this way they get into real estate by being able to leverage this capital to get their feet wet with real estate. So and that, estate, that's what they self-directed 401k. So with the self-directed 401k, you have that option. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Got it. Okay. So with self-directed 401k or self-directed IRA, you can still use that money. You can obviously invest in the stock market. It's not as if we're saying, don't you put your money in the stock market. You can do that inside of our plans as well. But the primary benefit is that you can pull the money out whenever you'd like and you can put it to work in alternative assets that you find appealing and get into spaces that you think you can control the outcome and you get better returns. Awesome. Awesome. This is amazing. I love the way you break it down. Most people in this space, they're all over the place and you can't really follow what they're trying to tell you, but you have a, a nice way to break these things down so that they're in, in nice uh, bite-sized pieces for our listeners to kind of take away from, even if they've never considered any of these options before. This is amazing. So when it comes to investing, the default is for individuals to go into the company-sponsored 401k plan. That's what most people do. And that comes with a limited variety of options. But, but a solo 401k, I mean, a self-directed 401k or a self-directed IRA, that you can take your hard-earned money investing in sound assets that you believe are going, to, are going to be fruitful for you. Is that correct? That's really it. And we go a couple of steps beyond that. With our structures that we implement, our clients get the money in a bank account. It's not as if they get the money, it's sitting in some financial institution. They've got to say, okay, I want to put my money into this real estate or into this asset, into this timberland or cattle, this, you know, whatever it may be they're, they're going after. Uh, they get the money in a bank account. They've got an asset. They've got a tax lien. They've got a sheriff sale. They've got an REO, you know, Again, you know, they got a, you know, these are bank owned properties and they're going at auction. You've got to move quickly. They get the money in a bank account. They can wire, they can write checks. Uh, so they get instantaneous, immediate, direct access to their funds to deploy quickly in opportunities. And if you're in real estate, you know that timing makes all the difference. It does. Hey, Bernard, this has been amazing. And I want to end with this one last question. I know we've talked a lot about how beneficial it is for individuals to start thinking along these lines and not just going for traditionally the company sponsored 401k, which is, again, as you said, it's not 100% in the realm of something that you shouldn't do, but you should definitely think about your options. You should see what the match is and things like that. But let's just say I want to provide value to any and every listener out there who's looking for somebody in your position, a company local to them, or they want to be able to do what it is that a lot of people are doing with their 401ks and, and self-directed. What are some of the questions they should ask an individual like yourself or some of the companies that they're interviewing uh, before they choose a right company for them? That, that's a, an awesome question. And what you have to be aware of in this space is that there are two things that you need to get from a service provider. One is, the first is from a com strictly compliance perspective. There are rules that apply to IRAs and 401ks. And the rules are there because IRAs and 401ks can be invested in real estate and private companies in all the alternative assets uh, that we've mentioned and so many others. But when your money is tied up in a company 401k plan or on your regular standard brokerage company, bank, IRA, those rules don't apply. You can't, those rules aren't, don't come into play because you can't touch your money. When we give the money to people and they can touch it, they need education about what they can or can't do. 
So you need to make sure that you're working with a service provider that not only knows the rules, is going to be upfront with you and let you know about the limitations. Because so much about maximizing the value of these accounts is about knowing the options, knowing the extent of what you can do, but it's also about knowing what you can't do. There are limitations. And if you violate those limitations, you can put your account at risk. So you need to make sure you're going to work with somebody that's going to be upfront with you from the get-go and say, hey, you can put your money into real estate, into cryptocurrency. Here's what all the things that you can do, but here's what you can't do. So that's the first thing. Make sure that they're actually going to give you the support that you need um, to do things in a way that's compliant. The second thing that you need to know is setting, getting accounts set up in this space is not, does not happen at the click of a mouse. If you're investing, if you're at Vanguard, um, they've got great systems in place. You sign up online, you create your account, a couple of clicks of the mouse, and you're invested. In this space, uh, where you're doing, and the, frankly, where things are not automated, and that's what makes it such an exciting space. And that's why there's so much opportunity in real estate and alternative assets that you don't have in traditional markets. It's because it's not efficient. The stock market is a place that we, there's something called uh, efficient market theory. Um, and that's kind of dominated the, you know, the scholarly thought in economics and finance for the last uh, 20, 30 years, which is you really can't beat the house. You can't beat the house in the stock market. There are millions of people that are analyzing it. Anybody can buy and sell at the click of a mouse. So it's, the market is efficient. Everything is accurately priced. Um, if you try to pick your stocks, uh, you try to outguess the market, outsmart the market, you're going to lose. The odds are against you. Whereas in real estate and other alternative spaces where things are not efficient, where you've got to know your local market or you have to be working with somebody that knows a local market. So there are real opportunities that present themselves. That present themselves. You just have to dig them up. You got to find them. They're not there for everybody to find on a computer and through the web. That's what makes it so exciting and provides the chance for the huge upside that's available in the alternative space. Uh, but being that it is inefficient and it doesn't happen to the click of a mouse, you need to work with a service provider that has connections, that has relationships, um, and that will hold your hand so that you reach the point at which you can get your account fully set up and really be poised to invest in the way that's, you know, in the assets that you choose. Boom. Bernard, I didn't know you were coming with all, with all of this. This has been amazing. It's been spectacular. I've learned so much. I know the listeners have as well. Lifestyle Design Acceleration Hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? Awesome question. Lots of books. There's one that I've, I've actually got sitting right next to me. It's on my night table. What They Do With Your Money, How the Financial System Fails Us and How to Fix It by David Pitt Watson and John Lukomnik and Stephen Davis. Awesome, awesome. That sounds very eerily similar to The Creature uh, from Jekyll Island. Have you heard that book? What's the name of that book again? The Creature from Jekyll Island. No, I have not. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's about the Federal Reserve and it's a really long book, but it's very, very insightful. So definitely uh, recommended. But I love your recommendation as well. We'll have that in the show notes. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? It's just the freedom to be able to capitalize on use my own efforts as you know as I see fit so if I see an opportunity I think something will be good for a client I can do that 
I can just take that step and implement it. I don't have to ask somebody else, can we do this? I don't have those, that hierarchy. It's the freedom to do the things that I think are best um, in the best way possible. Boom. What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. Okay, I gotta say the best app that I, one app that I find really helpful is something called Visita. Awesome app. Hmm, what's that about? It's a kind of a CRM and it's got scheduling tools, document sharing tools. So I find that to be a great app. Um, and if you'd like, I've actually got, you know, anybody wants to set that up. If you want to set it up, um, I can share a link with you. Yeah, what's the, uh, spell, spell, the spell the name of the app? That's V-C-I-T-A. V-C-I-T-A. There aren't too many apps that I have not heard about before, but that's first. So I'm, I'm glad that, that you were able to share that app with us. And that, that'll definitely be in the show notes and we'll, we'll definitely get together for a link. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? No, there are so many. Uh, but the, the primary sacrifice is when you get started and you don't exactly know where things are headed. And, you know, you see others that have kind of clear structure. They get up in the morning, get to the train, go to the office, come back. That kind of structure that you're missing, you know, when you're first kicking things off is something that, you know, takes time to develop your own structure because it's not dictated to you. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? I'd say that what is essential to growth. Who, who, who was essential to you? Who was essential? Yeah. It's really about getting support from family. I wouldn't say it's one person in particular, but it's parents that are there for you and encouraging you, you know, throughout your life um, to challenge yourself and to challenge assumptions. It's not the kind of thing that you can or at least not easily wake up one day and say, hey, I'm going to take this leap. It's, it's a culmination of so much that has, you know, preceded that moment. Yeah, for sure. Last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? I think it's really the comfort, you know, the comfort, there's a certain comfort zone that people are in. And although they can think about challenging that, there is a huge risk in getting out of your comfort zone um, when you take that leap. Uh, but I think people don't know the extent of their abilities. And I would strongly encourage anybody that's thinking about it, you know, to perhaps take that leap. And something that helps is not to think about it in a strict dollar sense. Uh, because I think what happens is people tend to think of it in a purely financial perspective. And they're looking at, okay, I've got this job, this role, it pays me X. If I abandon this, yes, there's huge upside, but there's also, you know, there's downside, there's risk. And if you try to kind of model it out, arrive at an, an expected value, you know, it's challenging or may not seem so rewarding. But when you realize that the rewards are not strictly financial, uh, the rewards are so much broader than that with regards to quality of life um, and meaning, that may encourage people, you know, to take that step. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. This has been an amazing interview, Bernard. I want to thank you for coming on the show. I've gotten so much valuable insights from your story, uh, which was amazing how you cultivated this business, how you decided to go left instead of right, even though everything was pushing you towards the right. It's simply amazing. And I really want to really want to talk about the value that you provided in the 401k space. So much things that you know the listeners have to take away. Those just want to get a hold of you, want to learn a little bit more about you. Where can they find some of this information? 
All right, that is certainly. The best place to start is at our website, which is 401kcheckbook.com. And that's 401kcheckbook.com. Nice, nice, nice. Well, again, like I said, Bernard, this has been an amazing interview and we will talk to you very, very soon. DeRay, great to be with you and the BTM tribe and looking forward to being in touch again. Mm-hmm.